Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 21. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. In the first three centuries of the church, the church was under severe and heavy persecution. We know from the Fox's Book of Martyrs, the great book to have in your library to peruse through. It's not really an easy read, but it is a good book to have. The Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it tells the story of Caesar Nero, who was riding naked in his garden. And as he rode through his palace gardens, he had lit up as torches the bodies of Christians after they had been dipped in wax and lighted as Caesar is screaming at the top of his lungs, you said you were the light of the world and be the light of the world. Don't you remember when Jesus told the, told the disciples, he said, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. And Caesar says he likes Christians. He you know, places them within his garden. And we're talking about 100 acres. And he lights them on fire and he says, you said you were the light of the world, then be the light of the world. It is said that six million Christians were killed in the early waves of persecution. Listen, guys, this is not a fairy tale. This is six million of our brothers and sisters were crucified upside down, burned at the stake, dipped in hot wax, thrown to the lions, torn on racks, run through with swords, cut in half. People watched as a spectator sport. Somebody once said that the blood of Christians is the seed of the church. I like that. The blood of Christians is the seed of the church. Jesus says, you're going to be persecuted for my name's sake, but it will become an opportunity for you to witness. Now, I realize that talking, listen, look at me. I realize that talking to people in the U.S. about persecution is very difficult because we don't know anything about persecution. We think we're being persecuted if we, you know, if the microwave's broke. Or we, you know, I'm suffering persecution, the microwave's broke, and we got to shop and pick up the kids and get ready for the Super Bowl party, and we got box seats and all this stuff got to take care of, and we're being persecuted. Oh, shut up. That's not persecution. We don't know anything about persecution. I mean, think about it. Right now, today, we can sing, we can clap our hands. That's why I don't understand why Christians don't. I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. And that's why I really... I don't understand why Christians don't take advantage of this awesome blessing that God has given to us that we are able to lift our hands and praise the Lord. We're able to sing as loud as our voices can possibly sing. Now, some of y'all don't sing too loud because you're distracting the folk in front of you. But we can sing and we can praise the Lord and we can give thanks to the Lord. And we don't have to worry about people coming through the doors to take us out and to shoot us or kill our kids or kill our wives and children. We have this 
privilege and honor to worship God, and we don't. And yet you can go to countries where it is illegal to praise and to worship God, and they do. We've got freedoms in this country that we don't take advantage of. Jesus says you're going to be persecuted for my namesake, but it will become an opportunity for your witness. Listen to this story. I've read it before. I've read it before. I've read it many times here at Calvary Chapel, but I love to read this story because I just love this story. It's the story of Polycarp. Polycarp is a pastor in the church of Smyrna in, in A.D. 61, 161, pardon me. And tradition tells us that he was murdered under the reign of Marcus Aurelius. Here's the story. The crowds of Smyrna were at the public games and they began to chant, away with the atheists, away with the atheists, let Polycarp be searched for. Christians in those days were known as atheists because they refused to worship Caesar. Well, the night before, tradition tells us that Polycarp had a dream in which he saw himself on a burning pillow. He went to the people in his church and he told them that God had revealed to him that he must be burned alive for his faith. Well, the next day, as the Romans came to arrest Polycarp, he had a meal provided for them and told his disciples that they were to serve the men who had taken him to his death. Well, tradition again states that as he entered the arena, a voice came from heaven and said, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. In the arena, the magistrates gave him a choice. Either curse the name of Christ and sacrifice to Caesar or be put to death. In his response, he said, Eighty-six years have I served him, and he has never done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Well, again, the magistrates threatened him and said, unless he cursed the name of Christ and sacrificed to Caesar, he would be burned at the stake. His response, you threaten me with with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched, but not as hot as the fire that you shall experience in judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why? What are you waiting for? Come, do what you will. Well, the townspeople bought burning embers to set Polycarp on fire. The Jews were so antagonistic that even though it was a Sabbath day, they carried the wood to the arena to fuel the fire to burn Polycarp. As they were getting ready to bind him to the stake, he told them, leave me as I am. For he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved. Even without the security, you will give with the ropes. Well, they did not bind him. And as the fire kindled, Polycarp prayed. I thank you, Lord, that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour, that I might receive a portion in the number of the martyrs in the cup of your Christ. And after he prayed, he gave thanks to God, and they set the wood ablaze. A great wall of flame shot up to the sky, but it never touched Polycarp. God had set a hedge of protection between him and the fire. Seeing that he would not burn, the executioner in a furious rage stabbed the old man with a long spear. Immediately, streams of blood gushed from his body and seemed to extinguish the fire. When this happened, witnesses say they saw a dove fly up from the smoke into heaven. At that very same moment, a church leader in Rome named Irenaeus said he had heard God say to him, Polycarp is dead. God called his servant home, and many people gave their lives to Christ because of the faithful testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, your persecution will be an opportunity for witness. And I was reading this recent report. Listen at this. International statistics show that an estimated 150,000 Christians are martyred every year. 
we're talking in 2011 now, 150,000 Christians, your brothers and sisters, are martyred every year. More than 200 million Christians are restricted from living out their Christianity. There is a growing onslaught on Christianity worldwide. More and more countries are accepting legislation that makes it more and more difficult for Christians to live out their faith and restricts them from gathering freely. This is true of China, Russia, countries in the Middle East, even Europe. There are also continuous efforts to ban the Bible. One of the fiercest persecutions against the church took place in Russia in the 20th century. It started with the doctrines of Karl Marx. Did you know Karl Marx was a German Jew who initially embraced Christianity, but later became uh, a Satanist. His disciple, Lenin, and we're not talking about John Lenin, we're talking about Vladimir Lenin. At the age of 16, he tore his cross off his neck and spat on the ground and trampled on it. When communism was established in Russia, the Soviets immediately started to persecute the Christians, and thousands of Christians were persecuted. There's there's still persecution of Christians in the world today. China, Laos, Cuba, Indonesia, Pakistan, Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Africa, especially in Nigeria and Sudan, India. And honestly, saints, listen, I believe that persecution is coming to the U.S. I, I really believe that. Have you noticed it's becoming more and more difficult to talk about the name of Christ? Have you noticed it's becoming more and more difficult even on your lunch break to read your Bible? What, what are you reading? Well, I'm reading my Bible. Well, uh, you know, uh, there's something else you can read. They don't want you to read the Bible at work anymore. I've heard stories like this. It's becoming more and more difficult to be a Christian here in the U.S. And I said that to say all of this. Listen, it is, and I'll tell you something, true Christianity is not for wimps. Did you hear me? True Christianity is not for wimps. And, and, and people died. Here's what we need to understand. People died so that I could stand here and preach the gospel to you. People died so that you can come in this building freely, get out of the car, carry your Bible in your hand, walk in this building, sit down and hear the word. People died for that. I've watched people come to church and been in places in India where it was illegal to be a Christian, where you couldn't carry your Bible. People had to hide their Bibles in bags of rice. And they would walk into church holding a a bag of rice. And then they would sit down and reach into the bag of rice and pull out their Bible because it was illegal to be a Christian. You couldn't just walk around carrying your Bible. And I tell you something, because people die so that we might live and be able to share the gospel, people die so that you can come in here and listen to the gospel preach. I will tell you this, it is an honor to be a Christian man. Is that the best clapping y'all can do? It is an honor to be a Christian man. And it is an honor to be a Christian woman. And when you are called a Christian, listen, people expect you to act like one. So many weeks ago, we were talking about clarity or lack thereof among Christians or people who say they're Christians, but they live, they say one thing and live another way. We need clarity in our lives. If you're going to be a Christian, then act like a Christian. 
If you're a Christian man, then respect Christian women. Christian women, nowadays you got to say this. If you're a Christian woman, respect Christian men. My, 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 how times have changed. If you're a Christian businessman, then, then people are expecting you to be honest in business. If you're a Christian and, 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 you're, and, you're, and you're banking, listen, don't bounce checks. Is that incredible? I mean, you're a Christian. You got the Christian fish and, oh, how I love Jesus on your, on your checks. And they bounce. That's why I don't put a bumper sticker on my car. I have no bumper sticker, no Christian bumper sticker. Like, oh, how I love Jesus. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. You know that one. Um, some of y'all got that on your car right now. No, we know you're not perfect. That much we know. You ain't perfect. Or, you know, Jesus is a friend of mine. We got all these bumper stickers. I have no bumper stickers on my car. And the reason is because I don't want to be a bad witness. Because if you cut me off on the 440, I will chase you down. I'm just keeping it real. I will chase you down. I might follow you home. I'll pull up in your parking lot. So you remember back there about eight miles ago, you cut me off. Now you're going to have to make me hurt you. But I love Jesus, but I got to hurt you. Well, you know, I don't like to, I don't bumper stickers in my car because if I chase you down, you know, when you chase somebody down, they cut you off, you chase them, and then you get right up next to them, and then you give them the look. I don't want to be a bad witness. We don't need to be a bad witness. We need to be good witnesses of Jesus Christ. Where are my people at? We need to be good witnesses of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told them in verse 14, we got to move on. Look at verse 14. He told them, don't worry about what they will say when they are taken captive. I'm sure that many of these Christians were thinking of these words uh, when they were taken captive. In verse 15, Jesus said, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom and what to speak. In other words, don't worry about hiring a dream team. When you face legal judgment for being a Christian, God will give you what to say. God says, I'm going to give you the grace you need in the moment you need it. Isn't that just like God? God gives to us. Listen, this is how God works. Often, God will give to you what you need in the moment you need it and not before. So you're praying, Lord, I need finances here. And God provides those finances. How many has that ever happened to? It's like right on time. Somebody once said that God's never late and, and, and he's always right on time. He's never late. He's never early. He's always on time. Isn't that right? God will give you what you need in the moment that you need it. I think of Luke chapter 12 in verse 11 and 12 when they, Jesus said, when they bring you before the judge, don't take thought what you should say for the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. So many of you know that when I became a Christian, um, y'all know I was just a little bit radical. Okay, a lot radical. And so I was in the Navy and um, stationed with the Marine Corps, and I used to wear the Marine Corps greens because I was stationed with the Marine Corps. And um, so, you know, wear the boots and, and everything, and, and you had to shine your boots. And when you shine your boots, they just couldn't be shined. The tip, the toe of the boot 
had to be so shined that the, that the gunny or whoever's doing the inspection had to be able to see his face in the toe of your boot. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You had to spit shine. I mean, you would spend hours spit shining the toe of your boot. So I, you know, I, my uniform was nice. I, you know what? I, I, I was always nice and pressed, nice dressed like I am right now. And, and, you know, I, I always had <laughs> nice, you know, my uniform was nice. I thought my boots were nice. I thought they were fine. So the gunny comes up to me and he goes, you know, and I'm a new Christian. I've, I'm, I've been a Christian for maybe 90 hours. I don't know. So the gunny comes up to me and he's inspecting everybody. He comes and we're all standing at parade rest, right? He comes to me, look down at me. He goes, Finch, your boots, you look like right, 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 right. He starts like yelling in my face and you know, razzmatazz is a curse word for the Christian. He's just, uh, and I'm like, you know, his breath, and I'm like, oh. And the whole time, now I just heard a sermon from the pastor. I'm like, woo, thank you, Jesus. And I just, I just heard a sermon from the pastor that said, you will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. So I'm standing there, and this guy is like yelling down my throat. I mean, he is yelling at me, and I've got the joy of the Lord on my face, y'all. I was so full of the Holy Spirit, I was glowing. I mean, I was just like, yes, and he's yelling out, just looking peaceful as ever. And he's just yelling in my face, and then he says, what do you have to say for yourself? And all I could think to say was, praise the Lord. That's all I can think of. I'm like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you something. So the guy tells me to go to the office, and I go sit in the office, and I'm thinking, you know, he's he's yelling down my throat, and all I'm thinking is, you know what? This is what Jesus talked about. I'm suffering for righteousness' sake. I'm being persecuted. The pastor just told us this on Sunday. I'm being persecuted. Then they sent me to the office. I'm sitting outside the captain's office. I got to go in there and explain myself. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? This is the depths of persecution here. This is really, really, really suffering for Jesus. This is what it's all about. But I'm a Christian. I have to rejoice. So then the gunny comes out and he says, you know, Finch, you need to tone it down a little bit and so on and so forth. And, I, and actually, believe it or not, I got an opportunity to even share my, my, my testimony with them. Jesus says, your persecution will turn into an opportunity for you to witness if you allow it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you allow it. But what we do is we take our persecution and we think, oh man, they just hate me. And we turn it into something else instead of thinking that, well, maybe God's trying to give you an opportunity. And so maybe you got passed up for the promotion on the job and you think because you're a Christian, which does happen, by the way, because you're a Christian, you got passed up for the promotion. Well, maybe God's given you an opportunity to share and to be a witness. Look at verse 16. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends. Uh, We all know what that means, don't we? You'll be betrayed even by your parents, your brothers, your relatives, your friends, and you will be hated for my namesake. Jesus said they will put you to death but not a hair shall perish. Now, how do you put these two statements together? I'm not really sure. They will put you to death, but not a hair will perish. Now, I don't think I'm worried about my hairstyle if I'm dead. But then I think of Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And Jesus said, 
Don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear those who can kill the body and the soul. What Jesus is saying is even though a believer dies eternally, God will protect them. Verse 19, by patience, possess your soul. This word patience, if you're taking notes, you write it down. It speaks of strong endurance, not passive waiting. Your soul will be kept by the strong endurance that the Lord will give you as you face persecution. And then in verse 20, we got to look at verse 20 through 24. Look at verse 20. If you're looking at it, say I'm looking at it. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by enemies, then know that its desolation is near. Underline that. And then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are in the midst of her Jerusalem depart and let not those who are in the country enter Jerusalem, her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress and in the land and wrath upon this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled, watch this, Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know the desolation is near. If you're in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, flee to the mountains. If you're in Jerusalem, leave and don't come back. Now don't, listen Bible students, listen. Don't get this confused with Matthew 24. Matthew 24 talks about the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. In the end times, the Antichrist will set up himself in the temple and demand to be worshipped as God, which will cause desolation. Verse 20 is talking about the desolation of Jerusalem. By the Roman army in AD 70, Christian historians tell us that Christians took this warning from Jesus very seriously. When the Romans began their siege of Jerusalem, many Christians ran out the east gate and they fled to an area called Pella, P-E-L-L-A, Pella, not Petra. At the end of the siege, in verse 24, they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem shall be trampled by Gentiles. Now listen close. When the Roman army was done with the siege on Jerusalem. Not one single Jew was left alive in the city. And for many years, Jews were not allowed to enter the city only on the anniversary of the destruction. Now, perhaps this might help you to understand better why Jesus stood on the mountain overlooking the valley. Kid, turn to Matthew 23. Put your finger here really quickly. Turn to Matthew 23. This will help you understand why, why the heartbreak of Jesus as he, as he stands on, on the mountain and he, and he overlooks uh, uh, the Kidron Valley, overlooking the, the city of Jerusalem, and, and, and it breaks his heart and he weeps over Jerusalem. Look at Matthew 23, 37. You looking at 37? If you're looking at it, say, I'm looking at him. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is Jesus talking. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall not, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name 
of the Lord. You see, Jesus could see the desolation and the devastation that was coming on the city of Jerusalem. And when you see um, two names in the Bible um, together, for example, um, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That speaks of a heart that is broken. Jesus' heart is broken as he looks over the city. He can see through the quarters of time, uh, Titus Vespasian and the Roman army in AD 70 coming to siege the city. He can see this massive devastation coming upon the city. He can see Jerusalem trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles was fulfilled. Now write this down. I'll leave you with this. May 14th, 1948. The Jewish nation was reborn. The Jews controlled a portion of the city of Jerusalem. It was divided with the Arabs. In June of 1967, during the Six-Day War, Jewish people regained control of Jerusalem, but the Temple Mount is still Arab-ruled. Today, the Temple Mount is still Arab-controlled. Now, as far as God is concerned, this is the most important piece of real estate in Jerusalem. Now, from a prophetic standpoint, the most important piece of real estate in the world is being trampled by Gentiles. When that time is over, then God will deal with Israel again. And the seven-year tribulation spoken of by Daniel the prophet will begin. The saga continues. Don't miss next week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the seven-year tribulation. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 Two nine three zero nine two three. That's one eight hundred two nine three zero nine two three. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light, and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you. Be salt and light. Let me be a song.